In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're there in the book of Numbers, and uh, we are tonight in Numbers chapter number 14. And, of course, we've been going through a series in the book of Numbers called Wilderness Wanderings. This morning, we looked at Numbers chapter 13. And like we talked about this morning, chapters 13 and chapters 14 of the book of Numbers are pivotal chapters in this book and pivotal chapters in the timeline of the children of Israel because of the fact that this is where the choices were made that uh, caused them to wander in the wilderness uh, for 40 years. And if you remember, in fact, I'd like to just quickly remind you, if you go back to Numbers chapter 13 and look at verse number 32, we learned about it this morning that the 12 spies went into the land and 10 of them came back with an evil report, the Bible says. They came back with some bad news. Numbers 13, 32, the Bible says, and they, and of course that's referring to the 10 spies, brought up an evil report of the land. So if you remember, they came back and they said, it's filled with, uh, you know, it's, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. They brought back the, the uh, grapes and the clusters um, of Eshcol, and, but they also talked about the fact that there were giants in the land and there were walled cities. And they gave this evil report, r- report and they gave uh, this bad news to the children of Israel and they gave their opinion and their opinion was that they should not enter into the land. So in Numbers chapter 14, what we have is the response to this bad news. And what we see, and this is a long chapter, it's 45 verses. We're not going to go through the whole chapter uh, tonight. We're going to cover about half of it, and then we're going to cover the other half uh, next uh, week. But what we see, and I'll give you just a real quick outline of the chapter if you want to jot this down for your notes on the back of your uh, course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some things. What we see is in the first four verses... Uh, a response from the people. We see the response from the people, and then in verses uh, 5 through 10, we see the response of Joshua and Caleb. Verses 11 to 20, we see the response of Moses and Aaron, and verses uh, 21 through 45, we see the response uh, from God. And what we're going to do tonight is we're just going to look at the response of the people and the response of Moses and Aaron, and next week we'll look at the response of Joshua and Caleb and the response of God. We'll see a little bit of response of God tonight, and we'll see the rest of it next time that we are together. Uh, but like I said, there, it's kind of a, a long chapter, so if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes, then maybe you can uh, divide it by those headings. So let's begin tonight with the first heading, if you would. And that is the people's response, the people's response. And what we see in their response is this, how not to respond uh, like a rebellious people. And what we find here is that these, this congregation has gotten some bad news. Like we saw in Numbers 13.32, they received an evil, an evil report And they were pretty much expecting, the Bible seems to indicate, that they were expecting that they were going to walk into the promised land and that there would be no problems, that there would be no opposition. In their mind, they thought, I guess, that they would just stroll right in and uh, the people would, you know, put down their weapons and, and give them the land and there would be no difficulty. And now... They are being told, no, there is going to, there are going to be some battles. There's going to be some fights. There's going to be some things that are going to have to happen. And they are becoming aware of the fact that there is some difficulty uh, with the possession of the land. And I want you to notice that they get a response. What I envision here is that they've got some really bad news. They were told, hey, it's not going to work out the way you thought it was going to work out. It's going to be a little harder. It's going to be a little more difficult. It's going to require more of a commitment and more uh, time. And what we see is a bad response. And I want to begin by highlighting this for you tonight, how not to respond like a rebellious people when we receive bad news. Because we're all going to receive bad news. From time to time, where life is going to just tell us that things are not going to play out the way that we thought they might play out. And you might find that you become very aware all of a sudden in your life that maybe you had things planned out a certain way. You thought uh, this would happen and that would happen and, and, and then you would 
go here and go there. And maybe things haven't worked out in your marriage the, thought you, the way you thought they were going to work out. Maybe they haven't worked out with your children the way that you expected for them to work out. Maybe your career has not really gone in the trajectory that you thought it was going to go. But from time to time, we all receive bad news and we all get this evil report uh, where we realize that maybe things are going to be harder than we expected them to be or than we thought we, they should be. And what we see here is a great example of what not to do. And I'd like you to maybe jot these thoughts down because if you're not there, all of us will be at this place in our life at some point where we've got to decide what are we going to do with the difficulty in our life? How are we going to deal with the bad news? When the bad news comes and they tell us it's going to cost more, it's going to take longer, it's not going to play out the way we thought it was going to play out, what not to do? I want you to notice, first of all, tonight, we see here in verse 1, when life gets difficult, do not despair. When life gets difficult, do not despair. Notice how the children of Israel responds, respond to this evil report. Number 14, Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says this, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. So they just, got, they just heard from the ten spies that it's going to be harder, it's going to be more difficult, there's walled cities, there's giants, there's, there's big civilizations over there, and this is going to not be the walk in the park that we thought it was going to be. And the response from the people was despair. All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And the first thing that I want to highlight for you tonight when it comes to how to deal with difficulty and how to respond when you get bad news is this. When life gets difficult, do not despair. And here's the point that I want you to get. You are allowed to be disappointed with life, but you're not allowed to be discouraged. We do, we do not get to decide that, uh, you know, this isn't fair and this isn't right. In life, we will all be disappointed. In life, things will happen that are going to cause us to say, I wish I didn't have to deal with this. I wish it didn't go that way. I wish it didn't play out this way. But you and I need to remember that though we can be disappointed, we cannot despair. We cannot be discouraged. We cannot go down this road where we just, like the children of Israel, lift up our voice and they cried and they wept all night. This shows us an emotion of hopelessness. This idea that God can't help us, that God's not with us, that it can't be done. So I want you to notice that what they did was they despaired. But the lesson for you and I is this. When life gets difficult, do not despair. And I want you to notice secondly, and we'll see the second application there in verse 2. Not only do we see from verse 1, when life gets difficult, do not despair. And look, I understand life can be disappointing. People can be disappointing. People can disappoint you. People will disappoint you. You're allowed to be disappointed, but you're not allowed to despair. Here's the second thought and application for us tonight is this. Not only, we'll look at verse 2, Numbers 14, verse 2, and all the congregation of Israel... You're going to find that this is a theme with the children of Israel as we wander in the wilderness with the children of Israel. All the children of Israel, notice these words, murmured against Moses and against Aaron. Here's the second point for you tonight when it comes to how not to respond, uh, how not to respond when you get bad news. I said, number one, when life gets difficult, do not despair. Number two, when life gets difficult, do not complain. Do not complain. It is human nature to want to complain. Human beings, we as human beings and we as just people, when we're in our flesh, it is our tendency, it is our, our natural inclination to want to complain. But honestly, in life, we should all just make a, a rule and a decision that we are not going to complain, that you uh, do not complain. Now, obviously, we should all live in reality. There's nothing wrong with realistically assessing the situation you find yourself in. And sometimes people have this idea, I don't want to complain, so then they live in this like made-up fantasy world, you know, and they just like an ostrich, they just put their, their head in the sand and they pretend like life is a certain way and it's not. And that should not be us either. We should live in reality. We should be like Nehemiah, who looks at the walls of Jerusalem and realizes that they are a reproach, they are broken down, and they need to be built up. There's nothing wrong with us living and assessing our lives in reality and saying, 
there are some areas here that I need to work on. There are some areas here that are not how they should be, and that there's nothing wrong with that, but we should not allow ourselves to live this life of complaining. When life gets difficult, do not complain. Because here's the thing, we like to excuse our complaining as, well, it's just this situation. And, and nobody would say, I'm just a complainer. I'm just a complainer. I just like to complain. I just complain about everything. Nobody would say that. And, and if you ask them at the moment of complaining, they would say, well, it's just this situation. Normally I don't complain. But this situation is causing me to complain. But the truth of the matter is this. And what we see with the children of Israel is that this is their default response. This is what they do. Numbers 14.2 says that all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. But I want you to notice that it wasn't just this situation. It's every situation. Let me give you some examples. Go to Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16 and look at verse number 41. Numbers 16 and verse 41. I just want you to notice this. The Bible says, but on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel. I just want you to notice a little phrase because it's the exact same phrase murmured against Moses and against Aaron. Notice how in Numbers 14, the Bible says they murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And if we were to stop the children of Israel at that moment and say, why are you murmuring? Why are you complaining? They would say, well, I'm not normally a complainer, but it's just this situation. You don't understand. I got some really bad news. But just a few chapters later, they get some really bad news again. And notice what they do again. They murmured against Moses and against Aaron. Go to Exodus chapter 16. And look, we can look at a lot of examples. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to highlight a few for you. But the ones I'm highlighting for you, I want to highlight for you because they're the exact same wording. Go to Exodus 16. If you go backwards past Leviticus into the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 16 and verse 2, Exodus 16, 2, the Bible says this, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel, notice the words, notice the exact same words, murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And here's what I want you to understand. When life gets difficult, you and I need to learn to not complain. Why? Because people who complain about anything complain about everything. And it just becomes this default uh, response to difficulty where we just sit there and we complain. We sit there and complain about this and complain about that. And let me just let you in on a little secret. Nobody likes a complainer. Everyone's irritated by complainers. Nobody wants to hear you complain, and especially men and especially you young men. Just decide in life, I will be the type of person who leans into difficulty, who, who, who's not afraid of hard work and not afraid of doing the hard thing. And if somebody has to look at a situation and assess it properly and look at it and say, here's the reality of where we find ourselves and here's what needs to get done. Hey, be that person, but decide I'm not going to be a complainer. I'm not going to be somebody who just complains all the time and complains about this and complains about that. And only if I had been born to this family and if I had this and if I had that and if I lived here and if I went there. Hey, don't complain when you find yourself in difficulty because what it will do, it will become a habit. It will become a response that is your default response. The children of Israel all throughout the wilderness wanderings complained. You say, why? Here's why. Because people who complain about anything complain about everything. And here's the honest truth. There's always going to be something to complain about. So when life gets difficult, do not despair. It's okay to be disappointed, but you're not allowed to be discouraged. It's okay to be disappointed, but you're not allowed to be, despair, to be in despair. Hey, you're a child of God. You're, you're, you, you, you're, you're the uh, inheritor of eternal life. You're doing better than you deserve, honestly. Amen. If you and I got what we deserve, we'd die and go to hell. So at any moment that I'm disappointed, at any moment that things don't work out my way, at any moment that the letter comes in and the evil report comes in, and all of a sudden I realize it's not going to work out the way I thought it was going to work out or the way that I wanted it to work out is going to be harder and more difficult. It'll cost more and it'll take longer. Hey, at that moment, it's okay to be disappointed, but it's not okay to be in despair. When life gets difficult, just make a rule. Just decide, I will not complain. I will not complain. Why? Because people who complain about anything will complain about everything. Let me give you the third application. It's there in verse 2 as well. 
Numbers 14 and verse 2, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. Notice these words. And the whole congregation said, now, what we're about to witness is something that when you look at it, you will look down on these people for doing it. But the difference is that we all do it. What the Holy Spirit of God has done for us is in this portion of Scripture, the Holy Spirit of God has immortalized in the Holy Scriptures for us a pity party. And what they're about to do is throw themselves a real big pity party. I want you to notice the exaggeration in their drama. In fact, at this moment, you might want to just, on the side of your margins of your notes there, just right next to verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 2, drama mama. (laughs) Because notice these words. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, verse 2, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would God that we had died in this wilderness. When life is disappointing and when you get bad news, I said, number one, when life gets difficult, do not despair. When life gets difficult, do not complain. But here's, here's the third application for us. When life gets difficult, do not look for the easy way out. You know, they're looking at, they're looking at this land they have to take. They're, they're looking at the giants, and they're looking at the walls, and they're looking at the cities, and they're looking at this whole situation. They're looking at themselves, and they're thinking to themselves, uh, let's just die. What to God we had just died? Or what to God, we had died uh, in the land of Egypt. What to God, we had died in the wilderness. And you know what they're, what they're saying is, I don't want to do this. Let's just take the easy way out. Let me tell you something. Divorce is the easy way out. Amen. Giving up on your children is the easy way out. Quitting your job is the easy way out. Quitting on God, it's, it's the easy way out. This idea that, well, let's just die. And, 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 and some people let their marriages die. Some people let their relationships die. Some people let their careers die. Some people let their spiritual lives die. Why? Because it's too difficult. Because it's too hard. But in life, you and I should just press on and press through. When life gets difficult, do not despair. When life gets difficult, do not complain. When life gets difficult, do not look for the easy way out. Notice the fourth Notice the fourth uh, thing we see here in verse third in verse in the, in the third verse, and it's this. The Bible says, "And wherefore, this is the children of Israel speaking, and wherefore, that word wherefore means for what reason? So now they're, now they're saying, and for what reason, and wherefore?" Hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Here's statement number four. When life gets difficult, do not question God. Notice, now they're, now, now they're first they turn on Moses and Aaron, by the way, that's the first step, turning on your human leadership. Now they've focused their attention on God, but not in the right way, in the negative way. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us in unto this land to fall by the sword? They're saying, why did God even bring us here anyway? Why has God brought us here anyway? For what reason hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and our children should be a prey. Go to Romans, if you would. Keep your place there in Numbers 14. Go to Romans chapter 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Here's all I'm telling you is if you haven't been there already, you will be there one day, and one day you will find that you get bad news, the report comes in, the evil report comes in, it's not good news, it's going to cost you more than you thought it was going to cost you, it's going to take longer than you thought it was going to take, it's going to be harder, it's going to be more difficult, it's not going to be what you thought, it's not going to go the way you planned, and when that happens, when life gets difficult, we should not despair, we should not complain, we should not look for the easy way out, and we should not question God. Romans 9, verse 20. Notice what the Bible says, Nay, but no man. Here's what Paul says, and this is a good question for us to ask ourselves from time to time. Who art thou? That's the King James Bible way of saying, Who do you think you are? Who art thou that repliest against God? 
said, who are you? And here's the question that Paul's asking. He's like, who are you to question God? Amen. Who, who are you to put God in judgment? Who are you to charge, like Job said, uh, that, he, that he would not do, to charge God foolishly? He says, who art thou that replies against God? And then he gives this illustration. He says, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? The idea is this, and, and, and he uses an art illustration. Look at verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay? He says, does a potter make a vase? And, and does the vase have the right to then respond back to the potter and say, why did you make me this way? Why did you make me so short? Why did you make me so long? Why did you make me so fat? Right, right. Why did you make me this color? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? The idea is this, that life can be disappointing at times and it can get difficult at times, but we should never question God. We should always remember, even in times of difficulty, that God is right all the time. We should always remember that God knows and that God knows best. So we should not despair. We should not complain. We should not look for the easy way out. We should not question God. I want you to notice, fifthly, look at verse 3. Numbers chapter 14, verse 3. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our, lo- that our wives and our children should be a prey. And then I want you to notice this little phrase at the end of verse 3. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Here's statement number five. When life gets difficult... Do not reminisce about the past. It's always interesting to me how people always like to reminisce about the past, and they always remember the past better than it actually was. And they're like, wasn't it better for us in Egypt? And we've already seen them do this in the book of Numbers. Remember earlier when they were tired of the manna? They're like, we had garlic. And the cucumbers, they're like, the cucumbers, remember the cucumber? And I can just envision, because this is how people are. The children of Israel all gathered together. They got the little manna there, and they're eating, and they're all kind of frustrated and upset. And they're like, remember how good the garlic, oh, the garlic. This is how people talk. The garlic was so, oh, and remember the cucumbers? And, and, and God has probably looked down from heaven and saying, do you remember the beatings? Do you remember the whips? Remember the, the slavery? Because human tendency is to want to look back and and either remember things as much better than they actually were or remember them as much worse than they actually were. You say, well, well, how should I remember the past? Should I remember it better than it was or worse than it was? Hey, here, try this one on for size. How about just forget about the past? Forgetting those things which are behind. And press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And these people, they were saying, we're not better for us to return into Egypt. No, it wasn't better for you to return into Egypt if you want to know. But when life gets difficult, do not reminisce about the past. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, if you would. Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your... If you start at Revelation and go back, you have Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st, John, 2nd, 1st, Peter, James, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. When you get to Hebrews, I'd like you to keep your finger there just at this verse because we're going to leave it. We're going to come right back and I want you to be able to see it. Look at the last verse part of Hebrews eleven fifteen. 15. Hebrews eleven fifteen. the Bible says, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Literally, it's what the children of Israel are doing. They're mindful of the country from whence they came out, and they're asking this question, were it not better for us to return to e- into Egypt? No. Don't go there. Forget about the past. When life gets difficult, do not reminisce about the past. Keep your finger there, Hebrews eleven fifteen. Go back to Numbers 14. Look at verse 4. Notice the sixth thing. We're talking about how to respond, how to not respond like a rebellious people when life gets difficult. Because life gets hard, life gets difficult. These people have been disappointed. Do not despair. Do not complain. Do not look for the easy way out. Do not question God. Do not reminisce about the past. And then I want you to notice the sixth statement, application we get from verse 4. And they said one to another, let us make a captain 
and let us return into Egypt. Here's statement number six. When life gets difficult, do not go back. Now, now go back to Hebrews 11 and 15. Look at what it says. Because in verse 3, they're questioning, were not better for us to return into Egypt? And in verse 4, they're saying, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. In verse 3, they are being mindful of the country from whence they came out. And in verse 4, they are trying to return back to the country from whence they came out. Hebrews eleven fifteen. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. That's why you don't need to think about the past. You don't need to reminisce about the past, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. Because when life is difficult, there's no point in trying to reminisce about and dream about how great the good old days used to be. The good old days were not that great. I'll just let you in on a little secret. The good old days were not that great. And, and we act like, oh, everything's horrible now, everything's terrible now. But you and I... 50 years from now, if we live that long, 60 years from now, are going to be the old people saying, well, when I was a kid, those were the good old days. No, they weren't. They weren't. There's always been sin. There's always been problems. There's always been difficulty. Things have always been hard. It's never been easy to live for God. It's never been easy to raise children for God. It's never, it's never been easy. So when life gets difficult, do not despair. When life gets difficult, do not complain. When life gets difficult, do not look for the easy way out. When life gets difficult, do not question God. When life gets difficult, do not reminisce about the past. When life gets difficult, do not decide to go back because these people said, they said, we're tired of Moses, we're tired of Aaron, we're going to fire them, and we're going to elect a new leader. Verse 4, go back to Numbers 14, 4. And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. When life gets difficult, do not go back. You don't have to turn here, but I'll just read this for you. In Luke 9.62, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You say, well, pastor, what if I want to despair? And what if I like to complain? And what if I want to uh, look for the easy way out? And what if I want to question God? And what if I want to reminisce? And what if I want to make a captain to take me back to? What, what if I do these things? What's wrong with doing these things? And here's the quick answer for you, is that none of these things change your situation. See, they found themselves outside of the promised land, the will of God for their lives. But they got some bad news that it was going to be harder, it was going to take longer, it was going to come with some difficulty, they would have to fight some battles and do some things. So they decided to despair. They decided to complain. They decided to look for an easy way out. They decided to question God, reminisce about the past, replace their leadership, go back to Egypt. That's what they decided. And as a result of doing those things, you know what they did? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So you can go ahead and complain, but it's not going to get you anywhere. You can go ahead and reminisce about the past, but it's not going to change anything. You can go ahead and ask for a captain to take you back, but it's not going to change anything in your life. You'll end up spending 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So if you want to actually do something, don't respond like these people. Because these people did nothing. I don't have time to go through the entire chapter, but we're going to see a contrast in this chapter to someone who actually did something. In fact, someone who is the only two people of this whole generation actually make it into the promised land. One is Caleb and one is Joshua. And what we're going to look at next week in this same passage is we're going to look at the response of Caleb and what he did and the spirit of Caleb. And he actually did something that allowed him to enter into the promised land. And to be able to do some of the things that these people never got to do. So we see, first of all, how not to respond like a rebellious people. That's the response of the people. And I want you to notice, secondly tonight, that we see the response of Moses and Aaron. We find that in verses 11 to 20. In verse 5, we actually see the beginning of it, where the Bible says in Numbers 14 and verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. 
before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. That idea of falling on your face is an idea of prayer. They, they fell on their faces before God. They're face down to the ground, prostrate before God, and they're going to pray. In verses 6 through 10, we see the response of Caleb. We're going to look at that next week. But in verse 11, we begin to see the response of God. And here's what I just want to give you this information as we kind of enter into this uh, uh, part of the chapter. And it is this, that we see Moses constantly. In the life of Moses, we see Moses interceding on behalf of the children of Israel before God. He is a great example of someone who practiced what we would refer to as intercessory prayer. And what we see in the next few verses is a great example. We'll see other examples of it. But here we see a great example of intercessory prayer. When Moses prays on the behalf of the children of Israel, he intercedes before God and the children of Israel. And and there's some great uh, takeaways here for us to realize. And let me just say this about intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is when we pray on behalf of somebody else. Now, usually when we like to pray, we like to pray, Lord, give me a house and give me a car and give me a raise, and it's all about us. But sometimes we should pray for other people, and you might think, well, when would I ever have to practice intercessory prayer? Well, let me give you some common examples. You might have to intercede on behalf of a wayward child. Maybe you have a prodigal son. Don't give up on them. Intercede for them. You might intercede on behalf of a backslidden spouse. You might have to intercede on behalf of yourself. You may be the wayward child or the backslidden spouse. And what we see in these verses is some examples as to how to practice intercessory prayer. Like I said, verses 5 to 10, we'll see Caleb and Joshua's response. But I want you to notice what happens in these verses. In verse 11, the Bible says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, God makes an offer to Moses, is what we're going to see. He says, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them. Verse 12, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of thee. This is God talking to Moses. And he says, I will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And God gives this response, this, 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 this offer to Moses. He says, Moses, listen. I can kill them all. We can just start over right here. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of debate as to why God says this. But kind of like we talked about this morning, where it wasn't God's idea for the children of Israel to enter into the promised land, but when they brought it up to God, he, he allowed it. You know, I believe that sometimes we see these things in the Bible uh, just as a test. Because God knows that Moses is going to respond properly, and God wants to document this as an example for all, all of us. Now, let me just say this. If, if God would have actually done this, he would have been within his rights. Because God is within all his rights to kill all of us whenever he wants. And to judge us in any way he wants. And, and it would have been fine because of the fact that it would not have uh, uh, affected any of the covenants or promises that God had made. Because Moses is a, he's part of the children of Israel. And if he would have just killed them all and started over with Moses, it just would have taken a little longer. But it still would have been the descendants of Abraham and all of that would have still been in effect. So God isn't ask, saying something that's wrong here. God would be within his rights to do it. I personally don't think that God actually wanted to do this. But God is just throwing this out there to show us Moses' response. Because remember, we already saw in the book of Numbers that Moses is the meekest man on earth. So God knows who he's talking to. And I think God already knew how Moses would respond, and he says, I want to document this. So God says, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. That's the offer. In verses 13 through 21, we get Moses' response. And Moses' response comes in the form of intercessory prayer. I want you to notice what Moses says, verse 13. And Moses said, this is Moses' response to the offer. And Moses said unto the Lord, then, and the idea is this, and, and, and Moses is, this is why Moses was such a special man. He engaged with God in conversation. As a man speaketh unto a friend. They spoke face to face, though he never saw the face of God the Father. We understand that. And God just got them saying, hey, Moses, how about we just start all over? 
Let me just kill all these people and I'll make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And then Moses responds and he says, well, if we do that, God, then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people. That thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, I want you to notice that Moses does something very interesting in this passage. When we see his example of intercessory prayer, we see that he does something that is very counterintuitive. And it follows the same theme that we saw this morning. Because remember, this morning we, we saw that the theme was that the fear was having your focus on the wrong thing. The spies had their focus on the giants, on the walled cities, on the enemy, and on the problems. And if they would have had their focus on God, they would have had faith, not fear. Here we see Moses puts his focus in this intercessory prayer in the right place. Because here's what would be intuitive. Here's what would come naturally. Here's what we would normally do. If we were to ever practice any sort of intercessory prayer, we would do it something like this. God, please don't do this to so-and-so. They're such a good person. They're such a nice person. They don't deserve this. Or if we're interceding on our own behalf, I don't deserve this. And when we pray and intercede on behalf of ourselves or other people to God, usually the focus is on us. I don't deserve this. They don't deserve this. Lord, they're such a nice person. Lord, they're such a good person. Lord, I can't believe you're doing this to so-and-so. Man, they've served you and they're faithful and they're a soul winner. And usually our focus is on the individual. But when you look at the master intercessory prayer uh, dude, (laughs) I don't know how else to call him, (laughs) Moses, When you look at the greatest, I mean, other than Jesus, the greatest intercessory prayer example in the Bible, I want you to notice that he pleads to God on the basis of God, not the people. God says, let's kill him and start over. Moses said, well, here's the problem with that, God. He doesn't say, these people, they're nice people. They're just having a bad day. He doesn't say that. He says, the problem with that, God, is that the Egyptians shall hear it. And the Egyptians will tell it. And the Egyptians have heard, God, that thou, Lord, are among his people. That thou, Lord, art seen face to face. That thy cloud standeth over them. That thou goest before them. He says, God, if we do this, what will they say about you? I want you to understand that the key to intercessory prayer is to plead to God on the basis of his reputation, not ours. So if you have to intercede, and look, these people were not good people. Moses was interceding for people that were bad people. They were sinners. They had done wrong. There was nothing. They they deserved to die. But the key is when we intercede to God, we should not go to God and say, God, what will they say about me? God, what will they say about us? No, no. God, what will they say about you? God, we represent you. We're your people. You're our God. If you find yourself in a position where you must plead on somebody's behalf, remember to always plead to God on the basis of his reputation, not yours. His reputation. Not theirs. God, what will they say about you? There's a time when it seemed like our church may not survive. We were fine, but we were under a lot of persecution. I remember praying to God, God, if, if we close our doors, I, you know, they're going to say this about me and that about us and whatever, but God, what are they going to say about you? They're going to say that, that, that Verity Baptist Church, doesn't, that, that's not the real God. They don't know the God of the Bible. These churches are preaching a false God. And God, we're trying to stand up and preach the truth. And if you let them shut us down, what will they say about you? We should remember that we should always plead to God on the basis of his reputation. I want you to notice, secondly, that we should not only 
plead to God on the basis of his reputation, but we should plead to God on the basis of his power. Look at verse 15. Notice what Moses says. And he never tells God. He's very respectful when he speaks to God. Look at verse 15. Now if. You're God. You can do whatever you want. He says, but if thou, kill, thou shalt kill all those people as one man. Because he says, you could, you could kill all these millions of people just like one, one man. Then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord. So he's still talking about the reputation of God, but now he's talking about the power of God. He says, they're, they're going to talk, God, and not only are they going to talk, but here's what they're going to say. Because the Lord was not able. They're going to say, you weren't able, God. Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land, which he swore unto them. Therefore, for that reason, he hath slain them in the wilderness. And now, I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great. I want you to notice that Moses pleads to God on the basis of his reputation, God's reputation. And Moses pleads to God on the basis of his power. He says, God, if you do this, they're going to talk. And when they talk, they're going to say that you weren't able to. That you didn't have the power to. That you didn't have the strength to. That you didn't have the ability to, God. And I want you to notice that we see some insight into how to plead and how to pray to God. We should always play and plead on the basis of God. Not us. And I want you to notice thirdly, verse 17. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great. And then he says this. According as thou hast spoken, saying. Now Moses is about to quote God. And, he, and he's, he's telling God, according, God, remember, according to as thou hast spoken. And, and here's what you said, God, saying, verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. I want you to notice that not only did Moses plead to God on the basis of his reputation, not only did, God, did Moses plead to God on the basis of his power, but I want you to notice thirdly that Moses pleaded to God on the basis of his mercy. Please don't miss this. Moses did not say, God, they're good people. God, they don't deserve this. God, don't do this to He didn't say that. He said, God, you're long-suffering. You're of great mercy. You're a forgiving God. And based off that, I beseech thee, pardon the iniquity of this people. And I want to say to you tonight, the next time you find yourself having to plead to God, make sure you plead on the basis of His mercy. Don't say, I don't deserve this. Say, God, I deserve anything. I deserve all of it. But you're a long-suffering God. And you're a merciful God. And you're a patient God. And you're a forgiving God. So God, would you forgive my child? So God, would you, would you forgive my spouse? God, I, I know they're not doing right. I know they're not going down the right road. And I know they're complaining and they're bitter and they're in despair and they're, they're questioning. But I plead and look, I'm just telling you the secret to prayer and intercessory prayer with God is not to plead on the behalf of the person, but it's to plead on the behalf of God. You're long-suffering. You're a great mercy. You're a forgiving God. That's what you said. And on that basis, I beseech the pardon. I beseech the iniquity of this people. Not because they deserve it, but according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And I want you to notice verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Now here's what's interesting about that verse. Two things. First of all, it's interesting to me that God says, verse 20, and the Lord said, so remember, Moses and, and God are having a conversation here. God says, let's kill them all and start over. Moses says, no, 
on the basis of your reputation, on the basis of your power, and on the basis of your mercy, I'm asking that you forgive them. And then the Bible says in verse 20, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. God says to Moses, based off your word, based off what you said, I have decided to pardon. What's interesting is that Moses said in verse 17, according as thou hast spoken. Don't miss that. Moses said, God, let me remind you of what you said. You said, and then Moses proceeds to quote God. And then God says, I'm going to pardon based off what you said. But what Moses said wasn't what Moses said. What Moses said what was, what, it was what God said. And you'd always do right, and you'd always do well to quote God. So when you need to plead on behalf of someone... Don't base it off the individual. Lord, you know this person. I love them so much. I care so much about them. They're such a good person. They're just... No. Lord, based off of your reputation. Lord, based off of your power. Lord, based off of your promises and your mercy and your pardon and your long-suffering and your, your great, you're a great and merciful and forgiving God. Will you pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy? And God says, I like that. I pardon according to thy word. Here's another takeaway from this verse is this, that God forgives, the Bible tells us, God forgives here because he was asked. I wonder how many people go without forgiveness because we don't intercede on their behalf. I wonder how many people go without the help they need because we're too busy to pray, and when we do pray, we're praying about what car we want and what job we want. When sometimes maybe we should intercede on someone else's behalf. Look at verse 21. So we saw the people's response, and we saw Moses and Aaron's response. We're going to skip Joshua's response for now. We'll cover that next week. But I'd like to cover a portion of God's response. Don't you notice how God responds? We see this in verses 21. We see it in verses 21 to the end of the chapter, but tonight we'll make it to verse 29 and we'll cover the rest next time. Why don't you notice, first of all, that God has limits. Even though God pardoned them. And what that means in verse 20 is that God said, okay, I won't kill them. I'm not going to kill them. Fine. I like what you said. It sounded a lot like me. This is what God is saying. (laughs) Then verse 21. God says, but it's truly as I live. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened unto my voice. God says, you know, I'm not going to kill them. He said, but I am coming to an end with this generation. And it's interesting to me because he says... And, I, and I'm only pointing this out to you as an observation. I think it's interesting. I, I'm not telling you that this is some sort of a magical number. I'm not saying that at all. But God says, they have tempted me now these ten times. Ten times since he brought them out of the Egypt have they tempted God and murmured against God and complained about, uh, against God. And God said, I put up with it once, and I put up with it twice, and I put up with it thrice. But he's like, now it's been ten times, and I'm just kind of done. I want you to understand, and we should always remember that God does have his limits. Go to Genesis, if you would, Genesis chapter 6. And when I see 10 times here, you know what that reminds me of? 10 plagues of Egypt. I mean, God sends one plague as a warning, two plagues as a warning, third plague as a warning. But when you get to number 10, he says, I'm done. He, he tells Moses, get ready, you're leaving tonight. We're bringing this to an end. In Genesis 31, you don't have to go here, but in Genesis 6-3, the Bible says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. He said that right before he flooded the entire world. In Genesis 31, in verse 7, here's what Jacob said, And your father's, this is talking about his, his father-in-law Laban, And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages, look at this, ten times. But God suffered him not to hurt me. So here, Jacob had his wages changed 10 times. And when he got to that number 10, God said, Jacob, time to go. 
It's just interesting to me as number 10 seems to come up with this idea that God has his limits. A cat has nine lives. I don't know. You get to the 10th one and God's like, you're done. (laughs) The idea is this, that God is the God of the second chance and the third chance. He's not necessarily the God of the 23rd chance. And God has his limits. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It doesn't mean any of that. But it does mean that sometimes God gets to the point where he says, we're done, we're done with this. So God has his limits. Then I want you to notice, when we see the response of God, go back to Numbers 14. Verses 23 and 24, we'll cover next week. Verse 23 says, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. We'll talk about that next week, verse 25. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. I want you to notice, verse 25 is really where everything kind of changed. It seems like a very, not, it's not a climactic verse, but it's really where everything changes. Because in verse 25, right after that parenthesis, he says, tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Up until this point, since they left Egypt, God has been preparing them and saying, we're going to the promised land. You're going to the promised land. I've got a land for you. You're going to take it. You're going to conquer it. But now, as a result of the actions that we see in Numbers 13 and number 14, the will of God changes. That's a sobering thought. But the will of God can change. And he says, tomorrow, turn you and get you into the wilderness. He said, you're not going to the promised land anymore. Go back into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And we'll see it later in this chapter. He says, you will spend the next 40 years in the wilderness. But I want you to notice that not only does God have his limits, but also I want you to notice that God hears your complaining. And he takes it personally. Look at verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? And notice what God says. He says, They're murmuring against me. He says, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Now here's what's interesting about that. I want you to compare Numbers 14.27 to Numbers 14.2. Look at Numbers 14.2. And all the congregation, I'm sorry, all the children of Israel, notice what it says, Numbers 14, 2, murmured against the Lord. Is that what it says? It says murmured against Moses and against Aaron. The Bible says that they murmured against Moses and against Aaron. If you would have asked the children of Israel, what are you complaining about? They would have said, we're murmuring, we're complaining about Moses, and we're complaining about Aaron. But here's how God interprets that. Verse 27, how long shall I bear this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. And you need to remember something, that God hears your complaining. When you complain, God hears it and he takes it personally. And they would say, we're not murmuring against you, God. We're murmuring against Moses and Aaron. We're murmuring against our leadership, but God said, no, you are murmuring against me because I'm the one that put Moses and Aaron there. And every time a teenager complains about his parents, he's really complaining about God. And every time a spouse complains about their spouse, he's complaining against God. That God is the one that gave you that spouse. God is the one that gave you that job. God is the one that gave you that house. God is the one that gave you that car. God is the one that gave you that health. God is the one that gave you everything and it's given you everything. And when you and I complain about anything, it's always a complaint against God. Because God has given you everything you have. God has given you everything you own. God has given you everything you possess. So when we complain about anything, we complain against God. And the interesting thing is that God hears our complaining and he takes it personally. So when you complain about your pastor, realize that it's really a complaint about God. When you complain about your boss, it's really a complaint against God. When we complain about anything, it's a complaint against God. 
They murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And God says, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which, ye, which they murmur against me. But I want you to notice that Numbers 14 and verse 2. That's another key verse here. Notice what it says. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Remember when they were throwing their pity party? You might have next to this verse, drama mama. I mean, this is when they were really exaggerating it. They were like, ah, it would have been better if we would have just died. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? Now, I think they're being dramatic. I think they're exaggerating. I don't think they're being real here. They're just trying to throw a fit. They're saying, would God we had died in this wilderness? But let me tell you something. You better be careful what you wish for because God may make you regret what you ask for. Because in Numbers 14, 2, they said, would God we had died in the wilderness? I want you to notice what God says in Numbers 14, 28 and 29. In verse 28, he says, say unto them, this is God speaking to Moses, he says, say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, He said, I heard your murmuring and I heard your complaining. As ye have spoken in mine ear, so will I do to you. Notice verse 29. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. Moses quoted God. Now God's quoting them. They said, would God we had died in the wilderness? God said, no problem, we can make that happen. Would God, we have died in this wilderness. God says, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. He said, I hurt you. As you have spoken in mine ear, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. You need to be careful what you say. What you say in anger, what you say in emotion, what you say in bitterness, because God may make you eat those words. They said, Would God, we had died in this wilderness. And God says, As ye have spoken in mine ear, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. That's why he said, Tomorrow, turn around and go into the, problem, and go into the wilderness. Verse 29, Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured, and don't miss it, he just says it again, against me. Like I said this morning, I usually like to leave these sermons and these sermons on some sort of a positive note. But there's no positive note in this story. They turn around, we're going to see it next week. Next week they try to go into the promised land anyway, and then God just has a bunch of them killed. But what we see here is that these people got a disturbing message. They got an evil report. They got news that they did not like. They got some bad news. They were told it's going to be harder. It's not going to work out the way you had a plan. You thought you were going to stroll in there and it was going to be one way. It's not going to be that way. It's going to take longer. It's going to cost you more. It's going to require more of a commitment. It's going to be more difficult than you expected for it to be. And they despaired. And they complained. And they wished for an easy way out. They questioned God. They reminisced about the past. They even make plans to go back to Egypt. And God says, I hear you. So will I do to you as you have spoken in mine ear. So we should learn that in life, sometimes we will be disappointed. But let's be careful how we respond to bad news. Because God may make us regret it. Let's bow our heads and I will prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for these stories. Thank you for these chapters. So much application and things we can learn from these things. Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn them, apply them to our lives. I am not minimizing what 
we sometimes go through, we go through, we can go through very difficult things in this life. But I pray you'd help us to remember that we can be disappointed, but let's not despair. And when we find ourselves needing to intercede on behalf of someone else, help us to always do it on the basis of who God is, not who they are. Help us to learn from these stories that were given to us as an example for our Christian lives. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you that uh, for you men, if you've not yet gotten by and uh, signed up for a shift uh, for the workdays this